I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to Why Are You Like This, a podcast devoted to finding out who we are and why we do the things we do. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, and honestly, today's guest gives me butterflies. With a face you want to kiss, a body you want to hold, and a brain that makes you wish you read more books, today's guest is a writer, composer, and marathon runner. Overall, Twitter darling, please welcome to the mic, James Kennedy. Hi, that was so funny. (laughs) Welcome, baby. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for coming on. You look delightful today. I know this is a audio, but I want everyone to know James looks great. <laughs> I'm very much still in my pajamas, but you know, I wash my face for you. There you go. It's all about the skincare. Love is, real. Love is <laughs> real. Love is love and it is real. So what's going on? What's up with your life? <laughs> um. Well... You know, I am back in New York City after a, a three-week trip out west, which Ooh. was very fun. Um, and yeah, now we're just sort of pushing through the swamp of August. Um, you know, aside from like Leo birthdays, this month really doesn't give us a lot, I don't think. Um, and so, you know, as as a, a deeply autumnal winter um frigid person i just am, i feel like i'm, I'm <laughs> crossing crossing out the days until we get to the colder weather it is crazy as an august baby like of course i love the concept but as i was you know post workout trader joe's two bags of groceries one backpack and a dream walking through the city today i was like this is hell yeah it's not cute and nobody can make it cute you know yeah. like there's nothing you can do to to salvage the current um you know environment that we all find ourselves in so i i love that it is a a unifying experience like all of us are sweaty and tired and gross and and disgusting um and i think that's beautiful but yeah i am excited um yeah you know i i think this whole year continues to just be a trial for everybody in in ways large and small and even though I don't think a lot is necessarily going to change in the near future, I always find the shifting of the seasons to be a pretty um, reinvigorating time. Yeah, I. this is definitely a product of like school culture, I guess. But like <laughs> September always feels like a new year to me. Like I know we have New Year's. Absolutely. But it's like 
okay, yeah, new year, new me. I might not actually get new school clothes every year anymore, but I feel refreshed. But I still think you should treat yourself to some pens and a notebook. That is You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be in school still to want, like, that crisp, you know, little trapper keeper and, like, some stickers and a little graphing calculator. Like, I, I think that, you know, maybe wait a month so everything's on sale, but you can still, you know, treat yourself to, like, some new pens. Nothing's more exciting than, like, writing with a new pen, I think. Did you uh, have to, like, cover your books with newspaper in school? Yes. Yes. We, yeah, I did not like the um, the textbook covers that you could buy, like those, those sh- like, shitty little fabric ones I, that ripped holes. I didn't like that. I was big on the, like, let me take a, an old grocery bag, um, like a brown paper bag, and, and, you know, cover my book and decorate it with Sharpies. Very same, although in a dark darkness in middle school, I had written all over my book. It was um, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Oh, wow. We Do we want to unpack that or do we want to just let that detail sort of float away, into the, <laughs> float away on, the, on the breeze? We can. I think it, I don't really even know how deep it went. I think, I mean, I grew up around a lot. I know that this this episode is about you and we will talk about you. Um, <laughs> no, this is I, great. I'm, I'm learning all kinds of things about you. We've known each other for many years. So this is yeah. <laughs> I, um, I grew up around a lot of Mormons in Oregon. Ooh. And so I didn't even like actually have an opinion on gay marriage, which was like the hot topic, I guess, or gay people was, yeah. in general. Um, but it was just kind of like, I heard it, so I wrote it down type stuff, which is sad. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes that's what being an artist is, is you hear things <laughs> and you, you write it down and eventually your politics catch up with you and then you do some deep reflection and, you know, shift courses a little bit. Oh, God. But yeah. like, it rhymes. It's it's cute. Let me jot this down on my the back of my biology textbook. Yeah, let me just, like, write it in Sharpie on a book and then show it to a teacher and be like, this can't be scary, right? <laughs> That's, I, I kind of, I, I love that. I don't know. I, I think it is good to, you know, see the tangible growth from who we were when we were in high school. Anytime there's... You know, there are there are many ways in which I feel like I'm still waiting to grow up or, or waiting to become the kind of adult I want to be. But whenever I have those moments where I look back and see a detail of who I was as a teenager and I can point to it and say, I'm not that anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a good thing. So I don't know. I kind of love that for you where it's one of those things where you can look at it and you're like, yeah, I am a different person in that respect now. Um, I don't know. I, I think that time is so weird and fake and so when we have those tangible details um it's it's really reassuring like in a spiritual way yeah and it's also strange to me because we i mean we're living in a time where everything is the internet is written in pen and uh not pencil and so you can find things that people wrote when they had different sets of opinions and blow it blow it the fuck up and uh 
It is the ultimate Sharpie on the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm like <laughs> worried about getting canceled for being anti-gay as the flaming homosexual I am today. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Don't worry. <laughs> the minute <laughs> this is over. Well, what was what was youthful James like? Were you also a bigot? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the surprising reveal of the conversation. Um, <laughs> oh, youthful James, just like so earnest and so optimistic, and I think um, was really um, was really sheltered in a lot of ways, and. You know, I was so, like, I was so encouraged and so affirmed pretty much every step of the way that I, I never um, felt challenged. Like, not in a, I don't know, what I mean by that, I guess, is, like, I never had to really dig to that deeper level of understanding or of confidence, because I could always just sort of breeze through and, like, be celebrated or be affirmed or or be praised and so when I would say that I would want to do things like be in theater or live in New York like it was nothing but um affirmation and that was great in a lot of ways but I think I it it wasn't um it was combined with a really strong need to be liked and a really strong need to please people and so I think it took me until I was no longer youthful James to um, to discover that sort of autonomy and self-confidence and really feel like I was, not only that I was making decisions for myself, but that I was making them from a really informed, very intentional, um, very grounded place. Because when I was a kid, I would just kind of like do whatever and you know, I was good at it. Like I was good at school. I was good at theater and and I was not like brilliant by any means, but I was good enough to sort of just like do it without getting a lot of attention. And and so I just, I was very much like on cruise control for a lot of my life when I was younger. And I think it, it took me until college really to get to that place where it's like, no, what do I want? And why do I want it? And like, what am I going to do to make it happen in a way that is correct for me? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I didn't come to that realization until like 27. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it it happens whenever it happens. And I think I had a real, um, you know, I, I think it's whenever the universe sort of presents us with that, like, a crisis of self-awareness or a crisis of self-knowledge. And and for me, it just happened to happen when I was in my early twenties. I think it happens at all stages of life. And I think it probably happens multiple times in our lives. I think this past year has been like one ongoing crisis of self-understanding and and self-decision-making. But yeah, I don't know when, when I think about like who I I was as a kid um, or even a teenager, like, I, all I just remember was that intense desire to be liked and to please and to be affirmed, not just by like schoolmates, but also the adults in my life. And, and there are still times now that I find myself tapping back into that headspace. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, because then like after I, I went to college, I just, I wanted to be serious. Like I went through this phase of like 
chasing seriousness and like grandiosity and like I want to be a serious artist and I want to like work downtown and be a you know a super esoteric like highly intelligent like weird Brooklyn artist like that was you know I thought I was trying to to do that and it really took me until pretty recently to sort of embrace that like there's always going to be a level of earnestness to who I am and and what I do and I'm always going to be that wide-eyed like theater fan like I'm never going to be able to be that like emotionally distant um like remove like cool kids smoking in the corner person like I'm always going to be so enthusiastic and so happy to be there and like so excited about who I'm working with and what we're doing and and now I feel like I celebrate that and embrace that but that took me a really long time because I was like I want to be a serious theater artist and I want to you know read everything and study everything and watch these you know weird movies and whatever and I still do like I you know I'm, I'm a nerd about it but like it, it it now it feels like a much more authentic thing as opposed to like I, I gotta impress all of the serious artists that I admire you know I'm always gonna be like musical theater trash at the end of the day <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that like there's nothing there's like this weird lore that like being earnest is like chuggy as the kids say now or like cringy or like but there's also the opposite end of the spectrum which I think a lot of us around our age delved into where it was like there's also this bad quality about being too cool for things and not caring enough because then nobody will nobody will invest in you if it if the air is truly I don't care right it's like the Jan Sport of it all. Like, why not? <laughs> totally. Oh, poor Jan Sport. I just, I get, I get her. Like, I, I so get her. I understand her. And maybe it's because we both went through theater school. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's this sense that like, if you are earnest or enthusiastic, it's all like empty calories. Like it's not rooted in anything genuine or it's not rooted in, um, you know, an informed perspective and I think that it very much can be um you know and I I just as I've gotten older I just have come to value authenticity and honesty much more than like being impressive or being clever or being witty or like all those other things I admire people who are like people who can lead with their brains in that way I have tremendous admiration for them but for me like I was a theater fan before I was ever a theater artist. And like that part of me is always going to be there. There's always going to be that part of me that like is in awe of theater and is in awe that that's what I get to do. And it's so like, I don't know, it it feels so cheesy in a lot of ways, but like anytime I hear someone read a page I wrote out loud for the first time, like it, it will always, you know, not to quote, I hope you dance, but there is that, like, I hope you never lose that sense of wonder, like, <laughs> thing about it, where I just, I, I have learned to love that in me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. anytime I, I see something that I wrote, or hear someone sing a song that I wrote, like, there's never a part of me, there's never not a part of me that is sitting there going, like, this is the fucking coolest thing ever, and... Like, I used to want to not be that part. Like, I was like, I want to be beyond that. I want to be like, yes, of course, people are reading my words and singing my songs. And of course, like, they're doing my, like, it's inevitable that I am brilliant. I'm like, no, that's not how I approach it. That's not who I am. There's always that part of me that's like, 
oh my God, like people are, are doing my thing and I'm doing their thing and we're all here in a rehearsal room together and now like we're going to get pizza and then go into tent. Like, I don't know, that that energy I think is actually really, really special. It's a lot. I think it has to be channeled appropriately. Like I understand when I see, you know, the theater kids in Denny's after their opening night. Like I get it. <laughs> it's a lot. You have to contain it in a way that is healthy and good. But I also think that there is something really, if you are a person who has access to that kind of spirit, I think that that is a really special thing. And I think that that is something that we should be proud to have. Uh, amen. This is it. That's it. That's the whole episode. No, I love that. And I recently as you know, have started actually writing my own things. And every time I yeah, like, you have. every time I send you something, I I do it because of that earnestness that you have inside you. Because I mean, we have plenty of friends who also write. Um, and there is definitely an, a bit of an imposter syndrome on my end as uh, somebody who is just beginning sending it to my friends who I know are like, this is my bread and butter. And me being like, look, but I wrote a page. <laughs> like, <laughs> But it's fun and it's it's sharing is good. And yeah. uh, thank you for not making me feel bad about doing that to you. Oh my god, never well, I just I don't know. I I am not someone who believes that like the act of writing needs to make us miserable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that like if we are lucky to have the time and space and you know, spiritual capacity to write in a creative way. And then we follow that up by being lucky enough to have creative friends that we can share stuff with. Like, that's incredible. You know what I mean? And so I I just don't ever want to be someone who takes that for granted. And I don't want to surround myself with people who take that for granted. Like, I, I think it's a special thing to write. I think it's a special thing to share that writing. And I think it's a special thing to pursue it in an ongoing basis. And so that doesn't mean it's not a slog most of the time because it is. Um, but I don't know. I I try to read your writing and, and anytime anyone shares writing with me as enthusiastically as I hope that they would read my writing. And I, I think that like the world is hard enough and Lord knows this industry is hard enough. And so I'm like, we may as well enthusiastically support our friends. Like, why not? That's so, that's like a baseline, easy, generous thing to do. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to like blow smoke up their butt or like, you know, not be critically engaged if that's what they're looking for. But I think there has to be that that sort of sturdy platform of support between each other because everything else is already like terrible. And so why should this be terrible too? I don't think it should be. Uh, speaking of creating, you have this gift and this knack to write about different layers of intimacy between queer friendships and relationships and how they shape us as people and I kind of want to know like when that started being a an idea in your mind and like why you find that to be a fun space to create with totally that's so kind of you for for sort of knowing that because that is very much something that is at the forefront of my interests at least in this chapter of my life i think i was like um, if he doesn't feel this way at all about his writing this is gonna be so awkward (laughs) you have completely misinterpreted every (laughs) single thing i have ever written (laughs) no i mean it's true i think i was doing it sort of um subconsciously for a while and then 
I remember sort of making a conscious decision because one night, I don't know, I'm sure it was like on a 2 a.m. subway ride home or something mm-hmm. like, in, you know, the, the space for big thoughts <laughs> is like the R train at 2.15 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I remember sort of thinking and reflecting and, and sort of realizing that like the most meaningful relationships in my life are not romantic. Um you know, I just am not someone who is dating someone right now. I That is not a source of, like, spiritual fuel for me. God love to all the people who do have that and who do feel that way, you know? Like, mm-hmm. my parents would probably say that the, one of the most meaningful relationships they have is their romantic relationship with each other. Like, a lot of people I know do have that person. I don't have that person. And so, for me, it was realizing that the fuel for my health and well-being comes from my friendships and my family relationships but you know I have a small family and I have a larger circle of friends and so starting to think of like oh you know if friendship is a fuel for us then there must be layers of stuff in there that is worth digging into in a creative and theatrical way and so looking at not only the many different kinds of friendships that I have, predominantly queer friendships, but also the history of those friendships, the sources of those friendships, the peaks and valleys of those friendships. And, you know, one of the things that I sort of define my work is this interest in what I call narratives of care. Stories about how we care about each other, stories about the challenges in taking care of each other, stories about where that compassion comes from. I personally am not super into plays where people are yelling at each other a lot, Um, you know, plays where people are just like being willfully cruel to one another. There are lots of great plays where that happens. and I'm not saying that those shouldn't exist. They absolutely should. I admire the writers who write them. That is not where my brain necessarily wants to live at this point in my life. I think, you know, we're living in this age where we have lots of stories about anti-heroes and we sort of have these protagonists who are doing morally questionable things, maybe with great intent, but who knows? And I just have reached the point in in my life where I keep thinking that, you know, if we are going to pathologize evil or pathologize terrible things or the ways that people are unkind to each other and why they are unkind to each other, I personally think it is equally important to pathologize kindness. Where does this kindness come from? How does this care manifest itself in many different relationships? What happens in stories of care that are not devoid of conflict, right? Like there's still challenge. There's still people being questioned or people being pushed in uncomfortable ways or people unintentionally hurting each other. But, you know, there's still this fundamental energy of care and compassion. And I see that in a lot of my own friendships, a lot of my own relationships where, you know, I am lucky that I'm surrounded by people where we take really good care of each other and we really prioritize that. But that doesn't mean that it is smooth sailing every step of the way. And so the more that I sort of started digging into that, I started seeing the theatrical potential for that. Um, So that's where a lot of these ideas come from. It's still something that I feel like I am just scratching the surface of. And, you know, I'm not trying to say like, oh, all of these plays are these like, 
Pollyanna. Everyone's just like sitting around being nice <laughs> to each other. Like that's not what I, I'm interested in or what I'm talking about. But I, I do think that that when I write a play, at least nowadays, one of the sort of agreements that I make is that all of these characters fundamentally care about each other. That doesn't mean that they always act in each other's best interests, that sometimes they misunderstand each other, sometimes they do harm one another, but there is that baseline of compassion and they are all capable of compassion. And I think that that is just where my interests lie right now. Oh, God, I love listening to you speak. Uh, <laughs> I love listening to you speak. That's why I listen to this podcast every week. <laughs> no, it was funny. I was at, uh, I was thinking about you this past weekend as I was at my sister's wedding. Um, because because you were planning our wedding. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> anytime. Well, I was I was sitting there and I was like, wow, if I were to get married right now, and stand up there with somebody like just a mythical somebody and be like this is my like I'm looking at my sister and her new husband and they're like this is my best friend this is the person that gets me the most this is like we are one and I'm like well the person that gets me the most is my childhood best friend Trevor I don't want to mm. romantically be with him but like he mm -hmm. is my soulmate so if I mm -hmm. were to stand up there with and I know this is like a lot of hypotheticals because I, I don't I don't have a like man that I'm dating right now. Um, but if I were to stand up there with this hypothetical man, I, I would be like, OK, so like when does that change? Like, is that supposed to change? Will Trevor stop being my soulmate at some point, mm -hmm. even though it's been 16 years? Like what? Also, Trevor, don't break up with me, please. You're the only thing I have. Uh, <laughs> It was just, I was sitting there and I was like, oh, this is kind of the crux of a lot of things <laughs> I think James thinks about. Totally. It, no, it, it is. Because I also think that, that, you know, and I'm making a big generalization here, but I think that that is the case for a lot of queer people, right? Where these long lasting relationships, these sort of soulmate levels of understanding come from friends. They don't necessarily come from a romantic partner. And so once I started writing these kinds of stories and talking to people about these kinds of stories, it really felt like I was tapping into a fairly common experience that wasn't being written about as much as I would like to, I personally would like to see it written about. I think we still fall back on romantic tropes in a lot of our queer storytelling. And, and that's great. Like we need that. We, I just, you know, we need more, we need more of everything. Um, but I think like, I totally know what you're talking about in that experience where you're like, oh, my soulmate, like my best friends are not people that I have any romantic connection, inclination, any of that. And that it, th those relationships are so um, just like fulfilling and extraordinary in my own life that my brain then says, well, then they'll make fulfilling and extraordinary theater, right? Like mm -hmm. those are the stories, those are the kinds of people and the kinds of relationships that I think audiences of all kinds, but especially queer people, will really get something out of. Um, where it's not saying, you know, if your life doesn't look like this, then you are missing out or you are doing something wrong. It's saying like, this is a, an experience that actually a lot of us have and isn't it wonderful that it gives us so much? Yeah. And I'm just tired of seeing coming out plays and movies. I'm tired of it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I 
think that it is interesting in the sense that coming out has looked like so many different things over the course of like 60 years. You know what I mean? Like that I think is, is really, really interesting. But I also think that like, it's, I don't know, of all the things that I think about in my life and, you know, I'm a fairly self-concerned person. Um, <laughs> my coming out experience is like 0.02% of what occupies my brain space. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I understand why we return to it because it is an event and there's like, the stakes are high and like it can make a really good story. But I think, um, you know, it just, it, I, I think our, our, well our creative and spiritual well is filled with so much more than just that and I think you know as and I I don't mean this in any disrespectful way but as I get older my interest in stories about teenagers diminishes yeah and if you know if that's what people are into then then amazing like that's great personally my characters seem to age as I age, you know what I mean? And so now I'm in a place where I'm like, no, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the ideas that keep me up at night, which are not coming out, which are not having children, which are not getting married. Like there are so many other ideas that literally keep me up until three in the morning that I would rather explore in a creative way. You know, so I, I think everybody should write what they want. Everybody should see what they want and have conversation about what they want. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that one is good and one is bad. But I think that one of the privileges that we are afforded as writers is to be self-selective in the kinds of stories that we explore. And I feel like what has happened for me over the eight years that I've now been doing this professionally is I have really refined what I'm interested in exploring and not feeling like I need to write a play about coming out or write a play about gays getting married. I'm like, people are doing that and that's phenomenal. I am interested in these things. And so I think part of the journey of a writer or just any kind of creative artist is like, becoming more secure and confident and like what are my stories to tell what are my characters that I want to explore I venomously agree with you as a person who just recently had an Olivia Rodrigo themed birthday party for his 30th (laughs) 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 who is like the patron saint of our time you know like for I just can you I listen to her and I'm like can you imagine having that clarity of what you were trying to say at that age, I had no idea what my ideas were or what my brain wanted or like how the world worked. I am so envious. Like she just has such a a crystal clear ability to not only understand her ideas, but also distill them into great music that I being like 17 or 18 or however many years older than her. I'm not, no, no, I'm like 12 or 13 years older. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me feel, that makes me feel better. Um, Listen, I went to a college that had no math requirements, so, like, you cannot hold against me. But my point being, like, I am more than a few years older than she is, and I am still chasing that level of clarity with my ideas and my creativity that she is already demonstrating at such a young age. Yeah, it's like if someone took my MySpace musings and turned them into music, it wouldn't be good, you know? Oh, God, no. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, all right. Well, sweet James. Oh, burn it all down. <laughs> burn it down. You 
are an earnest man with a penchant for writing stories about intimacy in different and new ways. I describe you often as just a magnet of joy and acceptance. Uh, you love to dance. You're a Scorpio, so yes, you are vengeful as well. And I just have to ask you, why are you like this? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there. Ever dream of making your own podcast? Let me tell you a little bit about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. First, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. hear that also succinctly is is quite something um I think I am like this because I had to my journey from being a kid to sort of the adult I am now was very much a journey of having to figure out 
what my terms were and how I was going to live my life according to those terms. Um, because, you know, I, I grew up in a, a very kind, supportive environment. I was encouraged from a very young age to be creative. Um, you know, I was very lucky in a lot of ways. My parents did not give me grief for wanting to study theater or wanting to work in theater. Um, you know, I was affirmed. I was very loved. Um, and so because of that, I had to make the journey from just sort of coasting along on that love and affirmation into figuring out internally what I wanted and who I was and who did I want to be and, and how was I going to make that happen. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people and I see a lot of people who, because for whatever reason, maybe they did not grow up in a very supportive household, or maybe they were discouraged by people, or maybe they were not in an environment that set them up for success at a young age, had to tap into that really early and sort of make these decisions about who they were and what they wanted and how they were going to move in the world very, very early. I did not have to do that until I was much older. And so I think because of that, it came from a very informed place. I had experienced a lot. I had experienced sort of being bullied for being a teacher's pet and like being bullied for, you know, wanting to um, succeed in school and, and being gay and being a theater kid or whatever. And so by the time I decided who I wanted to be, it was a very active choice. And so when you ask this question, like, why am I like this? I think I am like this because for whatever reason, the trajectory of my life led me to making a, a strong series of active choices that I could stand confidently behind is what came to mind. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very proactive way of developing. Uh, I envy that. Um it's so interesting because I like you and I are very close. We're very good friends and mm -hmm. we just like on opposite ends of the coin of a lot of things. Like I was very, as I was coming into my own, very like susceptible in what was told to me was my personality or was me mm. and didn't make a lot of active choices to define myself and so I find myself doing that now, which feels later, but again, isn't because life is mm -hmm. so long. Um, but yeah, it's just like so fascinating that we meet, I think. Totally. No, I love that. I also think that like, you know, I'm, I'm curious if you have this experience where you look back on these sort of pivotal moments in your life. And I just, I remember being so scared or so overwhelmed or feeling so out of control. And I look back on these moments and I'm like, no, actually you were making a choice there. Or like you, you were handling things better than you thought you were at the time. Or like you were taking better care of yourself than you maybe thought you were or like were aware that you were mm -hmm. I don't know I I feel like I now you know being 
in this age in my life, I feel like I am now rooting for my younger self more than I ever was when I was that actual age. You know what I mean? Like when I was like 18, 19, I was so hard on myself. And so like, I don't know, the story that I always was telling myself was that I wasn't yet mature, I wasn't yet serious, or I wasn't yet brilliant or whatever. And and now I, I look back on like myself from really any age, but especially like 16 to 20. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you are, you're going to be okay. Like you are pushing through and you are, are actually there. You are handling things better than you are giving yourself credit for. Yeah. I, that time. <laughs> I, yeah, I wasn't, if I look back on like my big developmental school, what have you years, let's say mm-hmm. 17 to 22, I, I'm looking back at that and and mining the positive things that I wasn't mm-hmm. hearing at the time. I was very, oh, very yeah. like, I mean, I, I just was never like the, the kid that was told like, this is the right move for you. Like mm-hmm. I, I just wasn't, um, mm-hmm. Like my family is super supportive, um, but in school or any kind of space, it w- it was always like, yeah, you keep pushing or sure. other things were like interpreted as laziness. Like it was very strange. And so mm-hmm. at the time I was just very angry, but now I'm finding myself looking back and mining those things for some sort of potential positive. I'm really finding the power and creating my own things right now but at the time when I was told to create my own things I only heard well nothing is right for you so you're gonna have to work harder totally not like hey we think your brain is really cool and the way that you look at things is cool so make something yeah totally and that is something that a lot of people have been talking about recently that experience of like who are the kids that were like, you know what, you go be creative in the corner. And like, meanwhile, this other kid we're going to cast as a lead because they already fit this mold that mm-hmm. exists yeah. for them. And yeah, I I think about that a lot just as someone who teaches a lot and works with young people. And it's like, how do we make that invitation to be creative something that we extend from a place of genuine encouragement and admiration and not like from a place of like oh we don't know what to do with you so you have to go write your own thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is what it has been for a very long time well and it was also wild because it's not like it was go create your own thing and also like we realize we're a school so like here are places and resources where you can learn right. how to do oh that oh my god yes it was just like i'm doing my acting final giving you my best virginia wolf at 20 and <laughs> you're telling me that like i need to go write the next mindy kaling sitcom and i'm like they're just not the same muscle you're not helping well, me and develop it's- it's you're not helping you develop and you're not uh, it's not being given to you in a way that makes you want to do it yeah very that you know what i mean like it's not like it's like you have to go do you should go do this it's not versus if someone had said to young ryan hey 
do you know that you have really awesome ideas and that you are very witty and that there is something untapped here that maybe you haven't been given the opportunity to explore? Because if that sounds cool with you, I would love to help you find a way to explore that. You know what I mean? Like, it, I would have just been a puddle. I would have literally melted and been like, thank you, I feel seen. I would have already written six shows on Broadway. Like, right. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally though. But like, if it had been given to you in a, a, a generous way that would have inspired you to tap into this part of yourself that you had never explored, like what a transformative moment that would have been for you. And instead, what I think happened to you is what happens to a lot of people, which is this like, you know what, I'm just not going to do my job to help you see the potential within yourself and help you, you know, actualize that potential. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's like, no, I'm going to give you this like very reductive, restrictive, and quite frankly, damaging perspective on yourself and then like leave you in the corner to figure out what to do with that. Also, we might kick you out of your program at any time. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, You know, like, (laughs) oh, it makes me so angry. Uh, I just want to smack a lot of professors up side the head (laughs) education's weird it's weird but i am finding ways to to look back and and be like okay like this was not given to you in like a positive tone or you didn't take it that way at the time but like this is how we can Mm -hmm. morph that and this is how we can use these things as opposed to just my like favorite go-to to to just be pig-headed and push through totally well also i think to Yes. And to find that genuine desire, right? Like you Mm -hmm. have a genuine desire to write, to be creative in that way. I think sometimes doing things out of spite is really satisfying, but I think it also like those are empty calories. Like it's not a sustainable headspace to be in if you're a creative person. And so however long it takes, whether it's two years, 10 years, 25 years, whatever, but to tap into that genuine desire of like, no, I'm doing this for me and I'm doing this because I want to. And like, I will figure out the things that I need to figure out, but the actual organic impulse is coming from within in a way that is like really beautiful and wonderful. And so even though I know for you, it probably feels like it took, you know, a generation and a half to like get to that place. Like, I don't know, it's as as your friend and, and fellow creative and colleague and admirer, like it, it's so exciting to see you in that space and continuing to like find deeper levels of that inherent desire to make your own stuff and to write your own stories and to perform them how you want to perform them, whatever that ends up looking like. Oh my God. James, marry me now. Thank you. Thank you so okay. much. That was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> So I know that it feels like we just spent 22 minutes talking about me, but we are <laughs> about to wrap things up. And I asked this of all my guests. I mean, it is your show. You can talk about me. Oh, I asked this of all my guests, but do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Who's your favorite alphabet? My favorite alphabet is Stephanie J. Block. Ah, oh, correct. Well done. Well done, you. Um, that's, that was a test and you passed it. Um, no, actually, I mean, that, that was a genuine question that I had, but no, I, I do have a question for you. Yeah. And it is a two part question. So buckle up. Um, okay. What is something that you wish present day Ryan could give to younger Ryan? And then part two is what is something that younger Ryan had that you wish you still had 
as present day Ryan. Fierce. Okay, so me, Ryan, currently talking to baby Ryan, who is only an inch shorter than me. Um, <laughs> I would tell a younger Ryan to listen more and to talk less and to know that not everyone is out to get you. Mm. And then from younger Ryan to me now, younger Ryan was like fearless. It wasn't always in the best expressive way, but I had truly no fear in saying, this isn't how things are supposed to be. This is how things Mm. should be for me. This is my talent. And I know that I'm this. I know that I can give you a stellar performance of this. And I think I lost a lot of that for a while. Um, And I was doing a lot of hiding and I was doing a lot of other activities to avoid being earnestly fearless about my talent and my gifts. And so I actively try to take that from my younger self as I continue on through this Mm. journey. Yeah, that was such a good answer. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, God, who's your favorite alphabet? Okay, so it rotates through like five of them on any given day. Today, I would also say Stephanie Jeanette Locke is probably my favorite. But like, you know, Eden Espinoza's up there, Rachel Tucker's up there, Julia Murney, Carmen Cusack, like all of them. I don't know. I watched that Shoshana Bean concert where they're all singing and I'm like, what a feast. Like we just have been given so much. The alphabets give us so much. And I am just humbly grateful for all of them. So many gifts. The last alphabet I saw live was, it uh-huh. was, it was her first time. And she's like, I don't even know if she's with the company anymore or what, but it was very much a situation where it's like, I'm the third cover. And her name was, her name was Maggie Rogers, not (laughs) pop star Maggie Rogers. (laughs) I know, but I had to remind myself in that second that there was a cover named Maggie Rogers because I was like, Ryan, where are you going with this? (laughs) And she did great. It was thrilling. And it's always, it's, it was a special moment because I was like, like I currently have a friend who's going through the cycle of the alphabet of it all. And I was <laughs> like, you know what? We all sing this in our room. We have all yeah. oh, yes. done it in the shower. And like, I have never listened to Wicked. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, don't know, know that one. I've never, heard, never, <laughs> never heard of it. I don't know her. <laughs> I don't know her, but like the thrill of really doing it and being the one who's really doing it must feel insane. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, what a, yeah. Oof. I do think about it quite frequently. I'm like, All the what time. is that like? I yeah. want that government job. I want to age through the whole show. I want to be Oof. Bach. I want to be Bach. I want to spend time as Dr. Dillamund when I can take any yeah. vacation I want. And then I want to yeah. be the wizard. I want to be the wizard and get the second to last bow. Oh, yeah. Joel Gray's agent works hard. Works the hardest working person in show business. Good work. Plan. Work, Joel Gray. And every future wizard owes a lot to that person. <laughs> um, besides, besides Wicked, what are you excited to see? Oh, goodness. Um, 
I mean, Caroline or change mm-hmm. <laughs> is what I am excited to see. I have never seen a professional production of Caroline or change because it is my number one most favorite musical. And I have always had a fear that what I saw would not live up to what I love. Um, so actually, I will tell you a super fast story. Um, Go for it. I have only seen uh, Carolina Change once, and it was at uh, Pace here in New York. Um, they were doing a workshop of it with Janine Tesori. Uh. And my friend at the time was Janine's personal assistant. And I get a call on this afternoon in January, and it's her. And she says, hey, do you want to come see this student workshop production of Carolina Change tonight at Pace. Tony Kushner has the flu, so you can have his ticket. And I was like, <laughs> okay, sure. So I go and I'm sitting in this rehearsal studio at Pace in Tony Kushner's seat next to Janine Tesori watching these kids do Carolina Change. And my favorite final, de- which I just, my soul left my body. And Absolutely. I cannot believe this is happening. She was living her best life. She was rocking out the entire time. And I'm just sitting there like, holy fucking shit. And then but the thing that I love about it is that uh, Samantha Williams, who I have since worked with and just admire uh, tremendously, played Caroline in that student production and was phenomenal. And she is playing Emmy in the Broadway production. Oh. Um, so she through that uh you know is now doing gonna do the show eight times a week uh in one of my favorite roles so it was so just special to see her in that and just to to have my first time seeing it sitting next to the composer in the librettist seat at pace in january of like 2017 or something dumb um so i'm very very excited to finally see Carolina Change. I had tickets to six performances before the shutdown. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, if you so if you care to find me, look to Studio 54 on any <laughs> given Tuesday between like October 14th and January 31st, because that's probably where I will be. Oh God. What what a beautiful soul you are. <laughs> Just deranged. Just so lovely and honestly janine we could talk about janine tesori for six to seven years we could listen i told myself when you invited me to be on this podcast that i would keep my brain worms at bay and slowly over the past 50 minutes and 23 seconds like they just have fought to come out i'm very good at that i'm very good at it it's all your work it's all you (laughs) i really i crafted this whole thing oh god jamesy thank you so much for being on the pod I truly Thanks for having me. treasure talking to you. I feel like every time I do, I get to know you a little Likewise. bit more. It's so nice to like have an intentional conversation in a year of unintent where, where we haven't been able to be intentional in a way. And so your podcast has been just a gift of listening to you and these fabulous guests, like speak in a very intentional and compassionate way with each other. Oh, thank you. Um, where can the children find you? The children can find me. Um, at the Gershwin Theater on September 14th. I will be at the first performance of Wicked. Um, the children can also find me online. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at James Holland. That's J-A-M-E-S-H-O-L-O-D. Um, I'm not on TikTok. That's for young people. I love watching the TikToks, but I am. I don't need another medium 
I have enough. (laughs) Um, uh, Tweets are my medium and I will stick with that. Um, But yeah, but that's where I am. And I'll also be at the Gershwin on September 14th. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to ask him out on a date, he'll be at the Gershwin on September 14th. He'll probably it's be sold just... out. So you can't watch the show with me, but I'll talk to you at intermission. Yeah. 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 You can, you can second act it. I'm sure. Oh yeah, totally. Come um, see that. No good deed. It's going to be insane. It's going to be so sexy. Anyway, thank you so much. <laughs> just a moment of pause reflecting on the sexiness of, of the first week. We both just sort of sighed together yeah. for a minute. It was great. We are we are one. Oh god. All right, until next time y'all. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.